Triathlon Show, episode 31. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to That Triathlon Show. The podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. As always, I'm your host, Michael. And today's episode is uh, another one on cycling and how to benefit from improving your aerodynamics and rolling resistance and that sort of kind of more technical and uh, gear and equipment related stuff. But uh, it's uh, an important one. And uh, this is an interview that I made with uh, John and Chris from Flow Cycling. Uh, However, before we get into that, we have a listener question. And it's been a while since I took listener questions. So I'm sorry about that. I've actually been getting in quite a few listener questions and I've always been responding to them on email, but I've kind of been just forgetting to answer them on the podcast as well. And my intention is to answer them on the podcast so that as many listeners as possible can benefit as long as it's okay with uh, the person asking the question of course if somebody uh, specifically says that they just want an answer in the email and don't want it to go out on the podcast then obviously i uh, i'm not going to to answer that question on on air but uh this one is from uh, from Peter in Delft, the Netherlands. Uh, so that is uh, another thing that came to mind now that I saw the country. I think that's the same city that Hans van Dijk, the author of uh, The Secrets of Running, is from. So he's on my hit list. So Peter, if you know Hans, uh, who is a retired professor, professor uh, from uh, the University of Delft, then uh, do put me in touch because I, I would love to have Hans on uh, on the podcast. Anyway, Peter's question is, being time crunched, is there any research on the best part of day for most efficient training? For example, breakthrough training in the morning, before slash after breakfast, midday or evening. Most of my training is after putting the kids to bed. And the second question is, out of curiosity, what is most people put in their special need bag? So actually, I'm going to just look at yeah this is uh i found a pdf document which is actually from from touch football australia but it's a great summary although they don't have the references which is kind of a a bummer here but but it's based on on research and i've seen this same kind of answer to this question before so pretty sure it's accurate and i might go and have a look at if i can find the direct peer-reviewed publications as well to include in the show notes but anyway it says that for 10 to 12 minute aerobic exercise or aerobic capacity training so basically they have measured time to exhaustion there there was no no basically no difference depending on what time of day this kind of exercise is done at it was about the same in both the morning and afternoon sessions in in studies and uh, in two to three minutes high intensity workouts performance may be impaired more in the morning than in the afternoon and this is i've seen this before in other places as well and this is something that i just practically do myself if i have a vo2 max workout i tend to not do it in the morning the earliest i would do it is before lunch so around 10 or 11 if i so that i have had a good four or five hours of being awake before at least before i do this kind of 
two to three minute interval session and there is some evidence even if it's not uh, it's uh, clear as mud i (laughs) would probably say but uh but there is some evidence that that might be better done in the afternoon and uh this is something that i just remember seeing as well about track running that that those 5000 meter and 10000 meter meter track races are usually in the afternoon or in the evening just because the performances are better at that time also we have on muscular strength and flexibility and resistance training there is variation depending on time of day so it says that strength performance is less impressive before noon than in mid-afternoon and early evening and uh also, there is some evidence that male hormonal responses to resistance training are strongest in the morning. So there is some uh, contradictory evidence there. You're not as strong in the morning, but your hormonal response is best. So I don't know what to make of that, to be honest. I think that, and for astro athletes, we're not really trying to optimize strength training. So I guess that doesn't matter as much. But finally, regular endurance training. This is uh, something that, that's very important and very practical. Uh, regular endurance training is uh, best performed at the time of day or the best performance is at the time of day when you normally train so so basically you get used to something and also your performance in races is uh, dependent on when you normally train so you should do at least some training at the time of day when your goal races are going to be and this is this is pretty clear there is good evidence for this so the second part of Peter's question was what people usually put in special needs bag. And I think that varies a lot. And uh, so if you have uh, your own special needs bag, do send me, send me your tips for what, and I can answer that on, or read that out on future podcasts. But I think that it's pretty basic stuff like uh, spare tubes and CO2 for, uh, for the bike uh, and uh, maybe some anti-blister or or things like that. And, uh, chamois cream spare nutrition obviously spare nutrition is a big one and for the run spare nutrition as well but some things like band-aids and um, and band-aids against blisters aspirin maybe and even pepto tablets which are for upset stomachs that sort of pharmaceutical contents would go into a special needs bag so thank you for your questions peter and one thing I should say as well about Peter's email, he listened to the episode with Nuno Placeres about uh, aerodynamic uh, aerodynamics and free speed on the bike. And he had a great link that he sent to me, which is bicyclerollingresistance.com. And that is from a Dutch guy who measured a lot of tires on resistance and puncture proofness. And I've been looking at this site. I'm actually looking at it right now. And it's uh, it's an epic site on, on these topics, I gotta say. And with specific watt numbers for for different tires, there's a long, long list. So I'll include a link to this on the show notes page on thattriathlonshow.com. And you can go and have a look. And uh, that is a great compliment to both that episode with Nuno, which was episode 25, and today's episode with Flow Cycling. But all right, that's... Uh, it for the intro of today's episode we'll go right into the interview now with john and chris from flow cycling all right welcome john and chris from flow cycling to that triathlon show hey how you doing hey thanks for having us yeah it's, it's cool to have you guys on we were just talking uh off uh off the recording of uh about how i heard about you guys first on the trainer road ask a cycling coach podcast and 
and that uh, was the inspiration for me for for bringing you guys on because you shared some really excellent information on that that i want to share with my audience as well but uh let's first uh introduce you guys so uh, uh you can start john who are you and and then we'll go with chris and then flow cycling awesome well my name's uh john i am one of the co-founders of flow cycling we started the business back in 2011 and uh it's been it's been awesome and then chris yeah i'm, uh, I'm john's identical twin brother i started the company with him we're both mechanical engineers we've been running it now gosh we've been selling wheels for almost six years and uh, Flow Cycling is a aerodynamic cycling wheel company. We design and manufacture carbon fiber bicycle wheels. We do all of our own designs. Everything's designed from scratch. And we sell them all around the world, direct to consumers. Yeah, so what we say distinguishes you from other, other, other wheel manufacturers and, and others in the same, same space as you? I think the, the biggest thing is, is that when we first started the company, we looked and notice that there were two types of companies. The The first type of company is a company that does a lot of R&D work, does a lot of engineering, and they were all at the time selling through the standard distribution model. And that standard distribution model includes going from the, the manufacturer to the, to the brand, and then to a distributor, to a bike shop, and then ultimately to the consumer. So there's, there's a lot of overhead there. And, yeah, uh... and, and that, that creates a ton of markup. And if you look at the, the cost of wheels when we started the business, it was around $2,500 per set. And, you know, today you're looking more closer to $3,500 for a set of wheels that goes through that distribution model. The other type of companies that existed at the time were companies that were selling directly to the consumer. But what they were doing is they were going overseas and they were buying what's considered an open mold product. And I mean, today you can go over to a factory in Taiwan or Asia and go into their showroom and they, they do have wheels that they produce on their own with their own molds, but the technology is, is typically old or not tested, not designed from, you know, to be aerodynamic. And, and you can say, you know, I want a thousand of those, put my sticker on them and you have a wheel company. The problem with that is that, you know, you're not really getting the technology that exists in the more expensive wheels. So what we decided to do was my brother and I are both mechanical engineers we decided to design the wheels on our own to make them as fast as anything that currently exists and then import them and sell them directly to the consumer and cut out all of the markup. So you can buy a set of our wheels, which are comparable to anything that's on the market in the, in the, in the um, retail category, but they sell for eleven fifty a set. So it drastically reduces the cost, but you get all the speed and aerodynamics and, and everything else that you're looking for in the, in the higher dollar wheels. And, you know, we, we do a lot of testing and all of that testing is highly publicized. We show it, we discuss how we do everything. So we're very open about the products that we do have. Yeah. And uh, listeners of the show are probably aware by now that I'm an engineer myself and I went and had a good long look at your website and the, the data that you present and also the pricing of your wheels, which is very, very competitive. I think that they were, you could get a, a good wheel a front wheel for like 499 dollars if i remember correctly is that right yeah so we have two two options basically we right now we have what's called our aluminum plus carbon which means you have an aluminum rim and a carbon fiber fairing the front wheel is for 449 and then the we also have a full carbon clincher which means that the whole rim is made of carbon fiber and that starts at 549 yeah, 549. Yeah, that was yeah. what I was looking at, actually, the, the full carbon yeah. uh, option, but still very, very competitive pricing. So so I was very, very impressed by that. And and, uh, 
and also the the data, as I said, that you presented. And we talked about that a few episodes ago when we talked about aerodynamics with uh, another guest on the show. And, and I actually emailed you guys about uh, including some some charts from your your blog posts on one of those topics and and that is also how we how we connected so yeah so you're you're very open with your data and it's very good data which is um why you are the first vehicle manufacturer on that triathlon show because um, (laughs) yeah all right so let's get into what to look for in a in a set of wheels can you give us a brief overview on that and and how does the set of wheels that you uh, that, that you ride on really impact your your speed yeah for sure so i always say the general the general consensus of of a good cycling wheel or the general outline of a good cycling wheel it's kind of like a chain is only as strong as its weakest link right so there are a handful of factories that manufacture good components and a wheel is essentially a list of components so you have a rim you have spokes and nipples and then you have a hub and inside the hub you have things like bearings and all of those uh, other things but Really, what you're looking for, if if you have a good rim, a good set of spokes, and a good hub with good bearings, and it's built well by a good builder, you have a good cycling wheel. Most of the mainstream companies that are out there make really, really good products. So, you know, if you're going with the the bigger brands, you've got Envy, you've got Zip, you've got Reynolds and Mavic, you've got us, you've got, uh, there's a lot of brands out there, but... Um, once you know for sure that there are a good list of components in the wheels, what it really comes down to after that are your specific characteristics that you're looking for in a wheel. So do you want a carbon clincher wheel? Are you more concerned about weight or aerodynamics? Your main concern. Do you like a wider brake track or a narrower brake track? They're all the specifics that really start to come into play. So, you know, we, we've written blog articles about the ideal wheel, the ultimate guide to purchasing your own race wheel. And, you know, at the end of that article, I say, if this article leads you to believe that flow wheels aren't the best for you, then buy another product and this article has served its purpose. So I think we make exceptionally good wheels, but I also know that the other top brands also do the same. So really it comes down to cost. It comes down to what type of riding training you maybe you're just a recreational rider and maybe you ride you know 20 to 50 miles a week and you get out once in a while or maybe you're training you're a big time cyclist you're training 20 30 hours a week you're on your wheels non-stop you're racing in uh, stage races criteriums triathlons there's a bunch of things so after you get a good quality wheel it really comes down to your personal characteristics you are the triathlon show so i would say for most triathletes the number one wheel set that we sell to most triathletes would be a 60 millimeter wheel in the front and a 90 millimeter wheel on the back. It's probably the most versatile wheel combo out there. And it works for most athletes because the front wheel at 60 millimeters. Chris, of- can, can, can you explain for the listeners that some of them might not be super technical? So what you mean by 60 millimeter and 90 millimeter, just oh, uh, very briefly. Sure. So the, the depth, which if I say 60 millimeters or 90 millimeters, is how deep the rim is. So if you were to go from the tire towards the hub, where the, where the spokes start, um, that distance would be about 60 millimeters. If you go 90 millimeters, it's a deeper rim. And your standard training wheel, which comes on your bike, 
is usually somewhere between 20 and 30 millimeters. So the deeper, typically the deeper a wheel gets, the more aerodynamic it is, which means it's faster. Now, with that increased depth comes more surface area. And when it gets really windy, it can be a little harder to control a deeper wheel in crosswinds. So we recommend for most athletes a 60-90, so a 60 in the front and a 90 in the back, because a 60-millimeter wheel, we really haven't had anyone. We've sold over 20,000 wheels now. I can't really think of anyone who said, I just can't handle a 60 in crosswinds. Along with designing wheels to be very aerodynamic, we also design them so that they're stable and easy to control in crosswinds. So most people can always handle a 60. And then the 90 in the back is a little bit more aero. And your back wheel doesn't, it isn't affected by crosswinds like your front wheel is. And the big reason for that is your front wheel has a steering axis, so your handlebars. So when the wind hits your front wheel, it can actually turn your handlebars but your back wheel doesn't turn, so it's stationary in the frame. And, I mean, we can get really deep on the science. It also moves your center of pressure and all these things. But basically a 60 in the front and a 90 in the back is the most versatile, the most stable, and the fastest wheel set for most triathletes. So if you go from a just a basic to standard a wheel with standard rim size of, let's say, 30 millimeters that you get when you buy your bike to that set of wheels with a 60 millimeter in the front and 90 in the back what are we looking at how much can you expect to gain in terms of time on on different uh different distances um there's there's a there's a number of uh factors that go into that so if you look at let's say we're going to do look at ironman florida so you look at elevation elevation matters there's a number of different things that that do come in into play let's say we use the, the a baseline wheel of a Mavic Open Pro, which is kind of like a, a standard OE wheel that you would find on your bike. Considering your time over Ironman Florida was five hours and 10 minutes, if you were to get a front flow 60 and a rear flow 90 uh, carbon wheel set, you would save five minutes and 47 seconds over that race. Now, as you change that race, if you go to something like Ironman Kona, that same comparison would yield you a result of six minutes and 54 seconds. So it is course dependent, and there are a number of other factors that go into that. One of the other things that you'll find is that you're going to notice a difference largely with the tire that you select. So if you look at the standard OE wheel, most companies ship with tires that are probably not the best for aerodynamic reasons. And we've done a very large tire study on our blog. Um, so what we did is we did a number of things. We went out to the A2 wind tunnel, which is where we do most of our aerodynamic testing. And we studied 20 different tires aerodynamically. And then we also studied tires from a rolling resistance standpoint. So rolling resistance means how much energy it takes to roll the tire down the road. Now that kind of sounds funny, but if you think of where the tire sits on the road, on the road surface... It actually squishes a bit. It deforms, and that deformation, as it moves forward, that deformation moves to a different part of the tire. So anytime you do anything like that, there's a transfer of energy, and that energy is, is lost as you roll the wheel. So we study things like the rolling resistance to determine how fast or how, how many watts it takes to actually to move a tire. So when you combine those two things together, you get basically the total amount of watts that it takes to move that wheel 
move that wheel forward. So if you look at something like the fastest tire that we found was a Continental uh, GP Supersonic in a 23 mil size, and it was a, sorry that was a that was a wind tunnel test. It, if you combine the two of them, the Continental Force in a 24 millimeter is the same is basically the fastest that we found. So the total watts for that tire are 16.49. So let's say you picked up a, a bike and you have the standard OE wheel and it has a Continental Gator skin on it, which is a you know a, a standard like training wheel. The amount of time that you would save using that wheel on an Ironman is three minutes and 42 seconds per tire. So that means you would basically double that. So you're roughly eight minutes there. So if you were to improve your aerodynamics and improve your tire selection, you're you know, almost eight minutes plus six minutes, you're getting close to 14 minutes in time savings over an Ironman distance race. Well, so you're saying that it's, it's around about, was it four minutes for each wheel and then three minutes for each tire when you, when you upgrade from the standard set that you, that you get with your bike? Was that how, how it breaks down? Roughly. So yeah, if, if you, if you took those, the, this, the scenarios that I gave, you're looking you're roughly four per tire and about three per wheel. So it's it's a significant savings. You look at people who are trying to make Kona, um, who are trying to actually qualify. 14 minutes on just the bike segment alone is a massive improvement, and it makes it much easier for you to actually finish the run in a, in a with a lot more energy if you r- rode at the same water. Yeah, yeah, definitely it is. And when you think about how much uh, it would take to to train your fitness level to to the point where you can actually gain 40 minutes that's that's a lot of training so if you can just by improving your knowledge and and your equipment selection that that's definitely a bonus if you uh, look even, at, yeah and if you look at the top athletes in the sport right now if you look at Jan Ferdino or Sebastian and Keenley those guys I've looked at their bikes and they have every single advantage that you can find Keenley's a Uh, these, mad scientist man that guy's bike is like they say it's mechanical doping but the guy's got like he was the, one of the first guys to use the dope chain he's his tire selections on point his aerodynamics are good the guy's like he's fast don't get me wrong the guy can ride like the wind but I but mean, they're I also guys incredibly are, smart yeah i i know guys like i mean his numbers are phenomenal don't get me wrong but uh we sponsored a guy once who was leading those 70.3 world championships the first year he won And when he went by him, he tried. He was holding 400 watts to try and stay with him, and Keenly still dropped him. So, I mean, he is super efficient on top of being very strong, and it really yep. pays off. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm noticing in, in the, only these last couple of months for myself. Only today I did a brick workout, and and I I'm preparing for my race season here in Finland. It's starting now. So so the message that I wrote to my coach after after this morning session is that everything feels perfect my only concern is that i'm not sure that i'm really translating all my watts to speed efficiently so <laughs> this yeah. is a, an area that i myself i'm starting to look into much more so uh, so yeah it's it's very timely to ha- have you on um you mentioned these numbers and that you tested in the wind tunnel and some of that data that you talked about i believe is also from from simulation so can you go into a little bit about your testing process because it's very thorough and uh and i want the listeners to understand that this is uh really credible and and not some sort of uh, of numbers that you draw out of a hat well there's there's two factors really i mean so the the big question and we've had this a lot is you know what do you go to a wind tunnel for what's the point of going to a wind tunnel and and i think that 
Number one, you go to a wind tunnel because you want to you want to actually see or verify what's happening. And there are again, there's two types of companies. Some people go in there and take a wheel in there that they've never done anything with. They take a bunch of fancy pictures and say that you know it's engineered in a wind tunnel. Well, if it's an open mold wheel and it's just in a wind tunnel, you didn't really design it or do anything in the wind tunnel. It's just a picture in a wind tunnel. Um, the, the issue with wind tunnels and designing in wind tunnels is there's two things. Number one, it's very expensive. So wind tunnels generally are in the range of, you know, seven to $900 per hour. The other thing is, is that it's also very slow. So every time you want to make a change, you actually have to build another prototype. For us, what we've done is we have, you turn to computers, basically supercomputers to help us through the design process. And in order to do that, we built a computer that mounted to the front of a bicycle and it collected wind yaw angle. So the yaw angle is basically the wind, the angle that the wind hits you. So if it's hitting you straight in the face, that would be zero degrees. And if it were to hit you like in one of your ears, basically directly from the side, that would be a 90 degree yaw angle. So anything less than that is goes from 90 down to zero where it's uh, straight on your face. And we also collected relative velocity and relative velocity means how fast the wind is moving in comparison to you. So if you are going down the road with zero wind and you're going 10 miles an hour, then that means that the relative velocity would be 10 miles an hour. If you're going down the road 10 miles an hour and the wind is hitting you in the face at zero degrees at 10 miles, then the relative velocity is 20. So it's the 10 plus the 10. And the final example is if you're going down the road at 10 miles an hour and you have a 10 mile an hour tailwind, you essentially are, you have no relative velocity because the 10 minus the 10 equals, equals the zero. So we collect that data to make it, to, to understand when we should include a yaw angle and when we should not include a yaw angle in the results, in the uh, data that we collect. Once we have that information, we, we created what we, is a, is an, we analyze the data and then create a custom optimization algorithm based on that data to, to develop and create rim shapes that are fast for the angles that the rider actually experiences. And in order to do that, we have to use supercomputers. So that the amount of processing time that it takes, if we did it on a standard computer, it would take about four and a half years to actually process the data. So we use a supercomputer that it's, it's a, has 32 processors, and we use 1,000 hours on that cluster to actually develop the wheels that are currently out on the market. And then once we get all those rim shapes from a computer and we actually open the molds, we go to the wind tunnel to basically verify and test with different tires and certain things like that to, to know 100% what we are creating. One of the issues with a wind tunnel is that there are multiple factors and variables and things that you just specifically can't control for. You know, there's always something that holds a wheel in place. You don't necessarily have it on a bike or the rider is not included or the, you can, there's, there's a list of options. So what we like to do is we like to try and come up with ways to make things as realistic as possible. And one of the ways that we've done that is we've worked with a guy named Ryan Cooper from Best Bike Split. And Ryan Cooper is a math, he's a mathematician. He is probably one of the top three smartest people in this industry at the moment. He is, a, he's a mad scientist for sure. So he back in grad school was working on a problem. He was watching the tour and he saw that the Trek team was using data models to predict uh, wattages and certain things for a rider over a course. So what Trek was doing at the time is they were taking the course data that they had and then would have their riders ride at a specific wattage 
to give them the fastest time. Basically, it, he was developed. So for each section of the course, their system would say, hold this many watts from this point to this point. And the idea was based on the rider's FTP, which is their functional threshold power, was how to optimize their time so that they would get through the course the fastest, the fastest. without burning out. So when when that was announced on during the tour, it, they said that the amount of processing time that it took was about seven and a half to eight hours per rider. Well, Ryan got thinking and thought about the problem. He developed an algorithm and a model that basically calculates the same thing in less than three seconds. And his accuracy is greater than the, what the Trek team was using. So since that time, he now works with most, of, most of the Pro Tour teams. And in conjunction with that, he's also received data from pretty much every single equipment manufacturer, Pro Team. He works with Garmin. He has all of the elevation data, the data for the courses. And today, he can predict your time if you give him your FTP, normally within a second or two of what you will actually complete a course. So his stuff is incredibly accurate. And we use that uh, model that he has to basically put in the values that we obtain from the wind tunnel. So it's called the CDA value, which is basically the coefficient of drag that your your wheel creates. So the lower that value, the less drag it produces. And then he mounts them onto a number of frames that he also has CDA values for and then compares them over a number of different Ironman courses. And we use that data because it gives a very realistic view of what is actually happening from course to course. And a lot of people would say, well, why not just go out and ride the course with two different sets of wheels? And the answer to that is that the weather conditions are different each time you ride it. The rider is different. There's a number of different factors. His model takes into account different weather conditions and creates the same weather conditions for the comparison of products. So we use that model a lot in our testing, and it is very, very accurate and gives the, the user a very reasonable value of what they can expect to save over the course over an ironman course yeah that's that's great and i was actually incidentally just before we got on i was posting on uh, the scientific triathlon facebook page my workout of the week and this week it was a kind of a special uh, edition i was posting about how to use the aero analyzer in best bike split to calculate your cda or not cal- but estimate your cda and yep. then and then and i try to to improve that over time so yeah i've been starting to looking into best bike split and uh, we need to talk after this show by the way because ryan cooper is definitely on my hit list as well <laughs> uh but uh yeah so so well i'll, about I'll call the C- him, he needs to talk to you he's a good dude yeah, yeah, perfect. Uh, so about the CDA, um, I was posting my uh, the estimates that I got, which was for my racing position in uh, at race pace, basically zero point twenty seven. But and I was googling around to see what I could find for to put that as reference against. But do you have any more insights into that? What is a good CDA to aim for? And uh, yeah, talk about that. So let me I'll pull up a chart here and let you know. So we use on our blog. There's a number of theories. What we've done is another way that we've calculated time savings is we've actually gone through and tried to prove a few things. The first thing that we've looked at is we've actually on our blog, we have a, it breaks everything down very formulaically. So if you look at the the equation of drag, force of drag is equal to one half rho, which rho is the density of error, times the velocity, so your relative velocity squared times the CDA value. And each shape has a specific uh, CDA value. So if you look at a sphere, like a, a tube, it's 0.47. Uh, 
uh, a rectangle or like a, a square cube is 1.5. And if you look at like a streamlined body, that can go down to 0.4. There's a thing that is called the human powered vehicle performance sheet, which comes from a, an old textbook and it uses CDA values. There's a aerodynamic crouch position that they talk about here and they use a CDA of 0.83 um, for a a rider. Now 0.83 CDA for the whole bike in, in person can be considered a bit high. Um, if you're getting a 0.27 for yourself, it's not too bad. Yeah. So that would likely be a bit low considering that, you know, the, if you look at a, like a, a partial fairing on front of somebody that can go down to like a 0.7. So your, your CDA value would likely be a bit off at like 0.27. Yeah, yeah, I I assumed so because it looked low, and especially given that my perception of of what speed I get out of my watts is uh, not what it should be. So, so yeah, okay, I need to look I'm into this, that. One, one, one thing that affected is probably the road surface. I was unsure what to put if it was really good or if it was average. So I think I put the average, and I should probably have put the good. But um, yeah, anyway, uh, let's move on. Uh, so we have time for everything that I want to go into. Let's now talk about a little bit of a kind of a checklist or action steps for the listeners, what they can take to to improve their aerodynamics and, and try to prioritize it in what is the best bang for buck and uh, and for time as well, if there are things like time that comes into play here. So what would you say those most important things to do would be? Number one, if you look at a bike, the most, the biggest drag penalty you're going to find is yourself. So the first thing you want to consider is your position on the bike. If you are in an upright position or you're all stretched out or there's a lot of inefficiencies with your actual fit, then the drag that you produce is going to be way more than anything else you can do to the bike. So number one, you want to get a good fit. The second thing that you want to consider that is also included in that fit is that you want to be comfortable. So if we've got you in a fit that is super aerodynamic, but you've got a limited range of motion, you're uncomfortable, and you can't actually put out the wattage that you actually have to put out or can put out, then it may make sense to move that position to open up the the legs a bit to be able to produce the wattage that you need. So you don't want to kill that efficiency of your of your engine, to say, because you're trying to get as aero as possible. So make sure you have a good range of motion, you're comfortable, and you can stay in the bars for the full duration of a race. After that, you want to, the biggest benefit that you can get, let's assume you have a, you have a good bike. You've got a, you know, or Cervelo or Trek, a Specialized, a Cannondale or a Canyon, anything like that. If you've got one of those bikes, uh, you're in good shape. The, the next most important thing that you can do from an upgrade perspective is wheels, wheels and tires. So you're definitely going to want to get yourself a set of aero wheels. One that, again, allows you to stay in that aero position, and Chris talked about that earlier, if if it's too deep of a wheel set and you have to come up out of the bars because you're uncomfortable with the wind, you're actually going to lose more time than if you were able to stay in the bars on a shallower wheel. So you want to make sure you take that into consideration. Uh, proper fitting clothing is actually really up there too. So if you have a baggy cycling jersey and shorts versus like a, a, a very tight skin suit for, for yeah. racing that's actually a very very high limit yeah. of drag too so that's that's right up there with wheels yeah and uh and then and then tires um one of the things that we've shown is that tire pressure um the tire selection itself the width of the tire all of those things are very significant in the performance 
of the bike itself. And that gets into the rolling resistance and aerodynamic combination. Beyond that, you know, there are a number of things that you can do um, to to make improvements. If you look at water bottles, if you look at front brakes, if you look at different shoes, if you look at people say shaving, you know, specialized in something on shaving your legs, and it actually does make a little bit of a difference. But <laughs> the, the big factors are the, are the first three that we talked about. Uh, and, and those are the ones that you should primarily focus on. What about helmets? And I've actually seen some data that the helmet is even a, a bigger time saver than wheels. I'm not sure if it's correct or not. So you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. I've seen that data. That's uh, for sure. But I don't know if that data is correct. So so you can tell the yeah. listeners why that is correct or not. Uh, helmets can save a lot of time. But the big thing with helmets is it's they're so particular to that rider. So I may put on a, a, a zero advantage too. And it could save me a ton of time. But then you put it on and it's slower than your standard helmet. You may find like the Rudy Wingspan or the Cask Bambino, I think is what it's called, is the best helmet for you. So because of body shapes, rider positions, head position, all those things, helmets are very, very hard to to guess. So you you almost essentially have to be in a wind tunnel to get the right helmet. Um, right. I've, he- I've heard, and again, this is just a total guess, but I've talked to some guys in the tunnel and from what they said, the Rudy ring wingspan seems to be kind of a good general helmet for a lot of riders, but again, it's not all riders. So it's a very particular piece of equipment. Hmm. And, and again, continuing on, on that, uh, that same, in that same vein with, uh, the action steps. So to g- give some specific tips, uh, you obviously don't need to say that anything is best, but if you can give a few tips for what would be good pieces of equipment to do and good so obviously for wheels we know what you what you would recommend it's slow cycling (laughs) wheels and uh, especially for triathletes those uh, 60 mils in the front and 90 mils in the back but then uh, what about uh, the other things that we talked about do you have any any particular favorites for for the clothing that you that you wear and and so on the other components that you talked about i used to race quite a bit so my general rule of thumb is like John said, get a good fit. Make sure your fit's good so that you're out of the wind and you are able to produce good power comfortably. That's number one. Then, you know, a, a wise helmet choice and a good set of wheels, and they don't have to be flow wheels. My, you know, get a good 60 mil front wheel that has proven aerodynamics. That's that's a that's going to take up 90 plus percent of all front wheel aerodynamics right there. And then even if you have a training wheel and you put a wheel cover on the back, that is very, very, very fast. Essentially as fast as a disc, if not the same. And, and what for, and for like hundred wheel, bucks. Yeah, and a great wheel cover is uh, wheelbuilder.com. They make what's called the arrow jacket. They're like $99. So it's a it's a really good option uh, for somebody that wants to pick up a specific yep. product. And then mm-hmm. and, and then on top of that, when when it comes to race day. Make your bike as clean as you can. You see these guys show up at races and they're like a rolling buffet. They've got, you know, 45 gels taped to their bike and they've got bento boxes and 74 bottles. And they, their bike is like this rolling buffet with all these drag components. So I used to, I mean, I used to change my bottle setups for races. I, you train, yeah, of course. And, and of course, the longer distance race you, races you do, you need to make sure nutrition's there because nutrition is such a big part of the race. But find ways to minimize and streamline the stuff on your bike. And that includes your cables. If you've got, you know, 
an extra eight inches of cables hanging around in the wind. That's bad. So tuck your cables in. Make sure your derailleur cable, the one, the big loop on your derailleur cable is only as long as it needs to be. A lot of guys, you see them rolling through transition with like 15 inches of derailleur cable. You just don't need it. So get your bike as clean as you can. Make the good wheel tire choices. Get a good, go to a proper bike fit, get it done. And then as far as, as a, you know, a skin suit goes, Pearl makes some cool stuff. With seam makes, they all do. Again, the seam placement is really, really important with that. So you, you kind of have to be in a wind tunnel to know, but you know, as long as it's tight fitting and it's streamlined and you don't have things flapping in the wind, that's, that's your biggest, uh, that's going to be a big savings right there. So basically get as streamlined and as minimal as you can. And that's a really good start. There's a, yeah. one other, one other uh, component that is the, you can look at your front brake. Tri-Rig makes a, a brake, uh, tri-rig.com if you want to check it out. It's a, it's a front center pull brake and it's got an aero profile. He's Nick from Tri-Rig's done some stuff in the wind tunnel and he's looked at it and it, it can actually save you some time as well. So that's also a, from a, a part that you could pick up. It's a, it's a pretty cool option. Yeah. And two follow-up questions on that. For a good uh, bike fit, which is the number one priority, how much uh, would you expect to spend on that to give the listeners some perspective? And secondly, uh, remind us, uh, we talked about this at the front of the episode, but uh, the tire of choice or tires that you that you would choose, what would those be? I'll start with the tires. The tires... I love the Continental GP 4000 S2 tire. It's not technically the fastest. The Continental Supersonic, or sorry, the Continental um, Force in the 24 mil is the fastest tire. That's also a great option. One thing that I like about the GP 4000 S2 is it's it's almost a bomb-proof tire. It doesn't cut easy. It's got great grip and wet. It's it's just an all-around really great tire. There are two sizes they make. One is a 23 mil and one is a 25 mil. The 25 mil tire is faster than the 23 mil tire when you compare aerodynamics and when you combine aerodynamics and rolling resistance. However, the 25 mil tire does not always fit on all frames. So if before you buy them, make sure that that tire will actually fit in your frame and you don't get any rub or any issues like that. If it does, then drop down to the 23 mil size, and you've got a you've got an awesome tire, pretty much for training, racing, anything that you're doing. Hmm. Um, uh, as far as bike fit goes, you can expect to pay anywhere from I'd say 150 to 400 bucks for a good bike fit. I the first time I ever got a bike fit, proper tri bike fit, was from Retool way way back when they first started. They had their like secret lab in Boulder, and I went out there and got fit by those guys. They do an excellent job. It's also cool because their their tools allow you to transfer the fit to any other bike. But I'll also say that Slow Twitch has a they have a fist system. Dan Enfield created that a long time ago. And on their website, he basically has a full guide on how he sets riders up with that system. And if you're willing to take the time and read through the information that he has, I've actually taken my retool fit and then read through Dan's stuff and actually adopted my fit over the years based on the, the data in that. So if you're math-minded, you don't mind buying a few, uh, they're called goniometers, which are angle measures, <laughs> and you convince your brother or your girlfriend or your wife or whoever to take a bunch of pictures of you as you're doing it. The one thing I really like about what Dan says with his fit system is 
yes, there are averages. So, you know, for example, your angle between your upper body and your lower body should be a certain, you know, your, your humerus of your arm and your, your torso should create an angle, but he gives you a bit of a range. And he says that riders will essentially naturally select what is best for them. So when he fits somebody, he starts them at like top of the range and he kind of works them through the range and says, where do you feel the best? And that kind of comes back to what we were talking about. Yes, you need a good bike fit, but if the numbers say that you should be here and you're, you know, your, your hip angles too tight, you can't breathe and you just don't feel like you can produce power. You want to get to a point where you feel comfortable on the bike. And I noticed my retool fit was great. Don't get me wrong. It was a good starting place, but I wanted to have a steeper top to or seat tube angle. I wanted to be more over top of the bars. And I, I changed a bunch of things and over, over a couple of years, I really dialed in my own fit to the point now where I'm super comfortable, can produce plenty of power. My, my lungs are the, are the limiter there, I guess. And um, I'm also very aerodynamic. Excellent. So let's now, at, towards the end of the episode, move into three different uh, rapid-fire questions. So you can both uh, take the turns and answer each one of them. So the first one is, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon, cycling, or endurance sports? I was always a knowledge is power kind of guy. So I was always reading everything I could specifically on training theories because I, I wanted to understand why I was doing what I was doing. And Phil Skiba, uh, Dr. Phil Skiba, it's spelled S K I B A has two books. One is training. I'm just pulling them up here. Training and racing with power. And the other one is scientific training for triathletes. So those are great books. And uh, what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Uh, I think for me, it was always my bike. You kind of have, you lit, you spend so much time on it. It's very personal. You know where every part of it is, every piece, how it works. So once you get a good bike, it's kind of like a, a relationship with your bike. So it was always my bike for me. I liked my Garmin. Give me all the data and everything I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, finally, what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Yeah. Uh, for me, it's always been consistency is king. A lot of guys say that Jerry Rodriguez is big on that as a swimming coach, but no matter what you do, work, training, relationships, everything is long. You may not be able to do everything day one or in a week, but if you are consistently putting in 30 minutes, 50 minutes, two hours a day on something, eventually you'll get really good on that. And there's a book called the compound effect, which is really good. Talks about that in detail. Yeah, I, th- I think I would remove this question because it's always the same answer, almost consistency. But it's so useful to hear it over, over and over again, so I won't. <laughs> True, man. <laughs> it works. <laughs> All right. So finally, uh, John and Chris, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Uh, tell the listeners a bit more about uh, where they can find out more about you and uh, and if they want to buy Flow Wheels and uh, anything else that you got going on and want to plug. Yeah. yeah. So basically we're at flow cycling flow is spelt without a W F L O cycling.com. And we, you can buy the wheels directly from our website. Most of the time now we're starting to be able to hold stock, but sometimes because of the popularity we do sell out. So we will get containers that come over and we announce when those wheels will be back in stock. So we are working to have stock full time, but it's, it is at times a bit of a challenge. And then the other thing I, if you say I can plug something, one of the parts of our company is that we also believe in, in social responsibility. So we have something that's called bike for a kid. 
So 1% of all of our sales go towards our Bike for a Kid program. And that program allows us to buy bikes and helmets for less fortunate kids. And then another thing that is important to us is trying our best to to, to give back uh, to the planet as well. So we plant one tree for every wheel that is sold. And the reason we do that is because if you look at what we do, we actually take things from the planet. So we now use all of our boxes are made from 100% re- recycled cardboard. And we're in the process of removing all plastics. And then the production of a wheel actually does affect the, the carbon footprint. So we plant a tree in order to help offset that carbon footprint and uh, and give back to the planet. So to date, I think we actually started the program at the beginning of this year. And I think we're just, we're just about to pass 2,000 wheels planted already. Uh, and Bike for a Kid has been something that we've been doing since day one. And we are about to pass 1,500 bikes that we have now provided to kids. So that's what I'll plug. Yeah, that's awesome. Super impressive. And uh, that social responsibility is, is something that that is always great to hear when companies do that, and especially a small company like, like you guys, and that you still Thank take you. that. So yeah, kudos to you. Thank you. All right. Uh, yeah. Thank you again for coming on. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll include all the links on the on the show notes. So uh, there are a few. I think I'll find them. But if not, I'll send you you guys an email, and and we can we can add them to the show notes when they come out. Perfect. All right. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks. All right. Hope you enjoyed that interview and learned a lot of new stuff that you can use to improve the speed on your bike. There are a lot of minutes to gain, especially over the course of something as long as an Ironman, as, as you heard, like 14, 15 minutes by doing the correct wheel and tire choice. So uh, that's uh, that's not to be laughed at for sure. One thing that I realized now that I forgot to mention in uh, the intro is that John and Chris, are their last name is Fornum. So uh, for those of you that want to go and check them out and Google them. What else? Yep, yeah, I'm uh, flow cycling at the moment of recording this which is the 2nd of june when you go to the flow cycling website which is flowcycling.com and that's uh, flo cycling their order for the two begins in six days 12 hours and one minute so that would be on the 8th of june in my time zone eastern european time and uh, if you're in the us as well if you're in australia or new zealand it would probably be the 9th of june but uh, anyway as john and chris said towards the end of this episode they don't always have stock uh, because they're still a, a small manufacturer so i think that what that means is that they will be i'm not actually sure how how their logistics are working but anyway if you're interested now is the time and when this episode comes out it will be let me think it will be very close to anyway it it will be around that time around the 8th or 9th of of june i believe so so yeah you should you could go to flowcycling.com immediately and and check out if that order has begun and and you can and you can sign up for it if you're interested in in the wheels and uh, i gotta say completely honest i'm very much on the market for Probably for a front wheel. I can't afford both a front and rear wheel, but I'm thinking about getting the 60 mil rim depth front wheel from Flow Cycling because I've been looking at their wheels and other wheels as well. Uh, I'm obviously completely objective, even if I interviewed uh, Chris and John, but I've been looking at their data and uh, reviews and stuff, and and I'm uh, very much 
on the fence of of buying that front wheel and then what i would do is uh as uh, john and chris said on the interview probably buy buy a wheel cover and that's also something that nuno talked about in episode 25 for my back wheel uh until i can afford a a proper proper back wheel rear wheel uh which will probably be from flow cycling as well if i'm happy with the with the front wheel so i might be joining in on that order 32 that begins in uh six days from now on the 8th of june when i record this uh so let me know if you you are going to be in on that as well and then we can we can let john and chris know that their uh, podcast also benefited them which is obviously a good one there is a win-win-win everybody gets something i get great guests for the podcast you get great content and and john and chris get some new customers uh, i would love to be able to provide that kind of win-win-win situation all right um uh, that's about it for today's episode i haven't conducted the next interviews yet but i believe that the next uh, show will have a guest that many of you will know mary beth ellis who recently retired as a professional triathlete and now is a coach at tricetto uh, she's obviously one of the mo- more most successful and popular uh, long distance triathletes uh, in the sport and has been for a long time so so i'm really looking forward to talking to her uh, i also have some other great guests lined up um, paul newsom who i mentioned in that episode 27 on swim training zones is uh, probably going to come on soon so uh, you have a lot of great stuff to look forward to i will stop uh, this outro now and uh, let you go on with your day make sure it's a great day remember to go to that to get the show notes and remember to subscribe to the show and spread the word to your friends uh, like people like peter who sent in the question at the beginning of this episode has been doing in the netherlands and like others have been doing and writing in to tell me about it if you write in to tell me about it i'm obviously always super happy that makes my day keep training smart and keep loving triathlon <laughs>